Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, December 23rd, 2016. And today we're reading from the, uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we are currently on page XXV, the first paragraph in the doctor's opinion, starting with We of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, today's readers, we have uh, Chris G. on the 12 Steps. We have Al- Allison L. on the 12 Traditions. And the readers of the text, we have Kelly S., Nadia B., and Sylvia F. The, uh, the reference number for yesterday, Thursday, December 22nd, is 9380. That's 9380. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. And OA's uh, sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, and that's to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And at a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive reading can recover. I did, I did. Um, they can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask good old Chris G to read the 12 step, the 12 steps. Chris. Good morning, everybody. This is Chris G, recovered compulsive overeater in Connecticut. Thanks for letting me uh, serve, and thank you all for your service. Uh, The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Chris. And now we'll have uh, Allison, the magnificent Allison L., to read the 12 traditions. Allison. Good morning. Thanks, Larry, for your service. This is Allison L., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Ohio. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thanks, Allison. Okay, this meeting works, so I'm here to tell you. Okay, here's, here's why. Um, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. And anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive readers only. And our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And we're, we're sharing what the directions in the big book uh, mean to us. So to share, all you do is you press uh, star one to unmute your phone. And once you're done sharing, just let us know by saying pass. Then, of course, press uh, star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, there's a few people on this call, so we, we just ask everyone to, uh, except the speaker, to, to mute your phone when you're not speaking. So today we're going to resume our study of the Big Book. We're, we're back in the, the doctor's opinion, getting started here, and we're on page uh, XXV in the, uh, the, the very first paragraph, um, starting with We of Alcoholics Anonymous. And let me ask uh, uh, Kelly S. to get us started. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, Larry. This is Kelly S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. We at Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from the medical men who have experienced who have had experience with the sufferings of our members and have witnessed our return to health. 
a well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcohol and drug addiction, gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter, to whom it may concern. I've specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of the type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning a possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. So, oh my gosh, talk about divinely inspired. I can't even believe that we're starting this, uh, this chapter at this time of year. I mean, what a God thing. Anyway, so if you're just now joining us, you can be at a better time. I love this chapter. And it made a huge uh, change in my recovery. I know you all have heard me say I've been around this program for 30-something years, never got more than a year of abstinence, have four big, big books with everything underlined, and never, ever understood it until I started hearing it being introduced to me through you guys um, and reading it the way it was meant to be read from the beginning like instructions. But anyway, so just in this little bit here, I want to share that, keep trying to keep it in the paragraph I've, these parts I've read. Um, first of all, I don't know all the numbers in these books like a lot of people in this uh, meeting do, but, you know, they always say all these things are suggested, but there are many, um, there are quite a few must in this book. I don't have the numbers, but right here is one of them. So they're not saying that you should or think about it or maybe you should work with others. Right here, you know, this specialist of alcoholism is saying that Bill W. said we must work with others, you know. And um, he had, you know, Dr. Silkworth, another thing about the history that I don't know all about, but I know at the beginning he didn't want his name on this letter. You know, he wasn't willing to put it on there. But then, you know, as it got ready to be printed again and he saw how, you know, successful it was that he wanted, he, you know, he was willing to put his name on there. And, you know, and just a little uh, break into my own anonymity a little bit, you know, I'm a medical provider. And so when I read this, this time around, I didn't used to be 30 years ago. <laughs> so uh, this meant even more to me because let me tell you guys, it's a huge deal to put a label of hopelessness on somebody in a medical field, you know. And so this guy's a specialist. And just for instance, like we don't say somebody is, has high blood pressure. There's diagnosis that says, reading of high blood pressure, but no diagnosis. I mean, it takes a lot to diagnose somebody as having something because that stays in your medical chart for a long time. So here this specialist was one, he went out to say he was hopeless. I mean, and you know what? I was hopeless. You know, I, I, this says we were seemingly hopeless the further on we read. And that was the thing was I actually thought I was completely hopeless. And, you know, I'd given up. And so I started listening to this and started reading this doctor's opinion in a whole different way. And what I found was uh, when I started listening and you know, I heard you guys say recovered, I thought, what? You can't say that. That's sacrilegious. It's, I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Have you guys not been around long enough? And then it was pointed out in this book they were willing to say recovered because what are they talking about? They're not saying we're cured. They're saying we're, we're recovered from this 
seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that's what I'm recovered from today because why I've wa- one of the things I've done is, you know, it says in, we're a we program. We have to carry this message, you know. For whatever reason, I tried doing it by myself. I had all the literature. You know, I've prayed. I've done all these things alone. It never worked. I'm telling you guys, you know, just keeping it on this paragraph alone to say we must work with other people. So this is the basis of this fellowship, you know, is carrying this message, showing people from this book that hopeless people like me, like Bill, can recover from this seemingly, I have to remember to say that, seemingly hopeless you know, that if we do what it says in this book, you know, we all have a chance. Um, but that's the thing. I got to put down the food. I got to keep it down. I got to remember that I have a mental obsession and physical allergy, and I have to work with other people and take them back to this doctor's opinion. So with that, I am so glad to be a part of this meeting and this program and uh, getting to start the doctor's opinion all over again. And thanks, Larry. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for the for the lead in here. Hey, before I don't want to get fired, so before I take names here, let me just put in context. So we're reading page XXV. Kelly read the first paragraph, starting with "We of Alcoholics Anonymous," and she read through four paragraphs, ending "This man and over 100 of others." So that we're the first six lines for context and the comments on the remainder. Um, so with that, who would like to share? Harlan G. Elaine B. Kim, Kim G. This is Bella. Can I share? Melissa K. Hey, Melissa. Who else? Leia M. Leia. All right, here's who I have. Um, I have Harlan. I have Elaine. I heard Kim. I I think I heard Paula, Bella, Melissa, and Leia M. Did I miss someone or did I add someone? All right, I think I think I got the line up here. So let's kick it off with Harlan. Good morning, Harlan. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Thank you to Team Friday for your service too. Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm so happy to be on the line this morning because we are we are reading the doctor's opinion. And this doctor's opinion is, is the foundation stone of everything and the depth that we accept this opinion will determine the urgency that we will work the rest of the steps. And this is very gutsy, what we're reading right here. As was mentioned before, uh, the big book was written in 37 and 38, published in April of 39. And Dr. Silkworth wrote this opinion in the first 10 printings of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. His name does not appear. When we turn the page, we're going to see very truly yours, William D. Silkworth, M.D., but in the first 10 printings, he told Bill, don't you put my name in there because they'll run me out of the medical profession. In 1949, the noted psychiatrist Harry Tebow published a paper in which he believed that alcoholism was an illness indeed, and the American Psychiatric Association, American Medical Association, accepted his premise that it was an illness. And in 1949, for the 11th printing, Dr. Silkworth told Bill, you can put my name in there now. Unfortunately, Dr. Silkworth left us in 1951, but of course he remains our great medical benefactor. But let's take a look at the text here briefly. In 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. 
He's talking about Bill Wilson. And when he says this word hopeless, what he's really talking about is out of ideas. I have to be out of ideas when I come in the door. And I am a believer that every door of Overeaters Anonymous should be a Dutch door where the top and the bottom open and close independently and the top should be nailed shut because if I don't crawl in on my belly, I'm not going to stay. In the course of his third treatment, what happened in Bill's story, we're going to learn that he is treated for his alcoholism by Dr. Silkworth three times. There are other publications which allude to a fourth treatment, but it doesn't matter for our purposes here. It's three times. But in the course of life between 1934, April of 34, and December of 34, when he goes back, he is going to come in contact with the Oxford Group Movement of the Day. He is going to come in contact with them through Ebby Thatcher. We're going to learn about that in, in a while when we study Bill's story. He's going to meet Sam Shoemaker, and he's going to start attending meetings at the Cavalry Mission in New York City. He's going to acquire the six-step program of the Oxford Group Movement and their four absolutes. And he's going to start working those steps. Even though he's still drinking, it is starting to sink into his brain a little bit. And what happens is, in the course of his third treatment, he gets sober. And, and in December of 34, and then what happens is he starts to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. What is the basis of the Oxford group movement? But all truism. I'm going to wrap up here and it says this has become the basis of a rapidly growing fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. And there's that word. It takes all argument away. Can you be recovered in this program? You bet you can. And I'm proud to be one of those people today. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan. Thanks. Uh, okay, next up we have Elaine. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service. This is Elaine B. Recovered in Massachusetts and so grateful for this amazing solution and a power greater than myself. So much greater. It's, I'm just reflecting on how you can be doing so many of the right things and yet one little piece of information causes it all to come together. Just like you can be eating, you know, a chocolate cake with just a little bit of arsenic in it, it'll kill you. <laughs> so, boy, was I consuming the wrong things in my first and second and third and probably fourth and fifth <laughs> treatment because I was missing a vital ingredient that I did not discover until the day with the desperation of a dying man <laughs> on my 45th day of 90, day, 90 days of meeting. Somebody had given me a phone number to a vision for you. The very first meeting I heard was they call this plain insanity. And this message was unpacked in a way that I had never, ever, ever heard before. And... Um, even though I had spent many years in the rooms of OA and I had a level of fellowship and we read the promises every at the end of every meeting, and some of them were coming true just because I wasn't thinking about food all of the time, I had no idea that I could be rocketed into a fourth dimension if I embraced this idea and embraced the fact that I must do likewise with still others. And... Um, 
That's part of keeping my nose in this book, keeping my head in recovery, keeping my feet on the ground, uh, and reminding myself day after day what I need to do to keep clear those things that block me from a power greater than myself and block me from others so that I really can be part of a fellowship, so that I can grow a fellowship Uh, the big book says, we'll actually be able to create the community that we crave. And I will be so honest with you, after years and rooms of face-to-face meetings, the level of intimacy that I have with uh, people that I've worked with over the phone, people, the community that I've built to do 10 steps, to be able to to come in face-to-face with this common foundation, to talk about those things that are uh, disturbing me, to be able to admit my selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty and fear, my uh, sex conduct that throws me out of whack, all those things that make me out of alignment with my creator and out of alignment with my fellows and keep me out of the food. That's the community that I crave. And, of course, it rapidly grows. The intimacy, the um, camaraderie, the, uh, (laughs) the recovery, it's real, folks. Hang in there. I pass. Thanks, Lynn. <clears throat> Boy, I went all the way in school, but I never had teachers like on this line. Here's another teacher of mine out in Jersey. Hey, Kim. Hey, Larry. Be, be, behave, you're going to have to stay after class and clap erasers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Kim, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm going to look at the juxtaposition of two of the, the, the words here. It says, an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. But then we ended the reading with a man and over 100 others have recovered. Recovered. That juxtaposition. You know, and, and sometimes I like to look at things in my life that are not compulsive over reading and kind of compare them. So I'm coming up now on a six-year anniversary of being out in a snowstorm and slipping and falling and looking down and my foot was faced 180 degrees the wrong way. And I was rushed to the hospital, and I was told that my outside bone had snapped in half, and every single muscle and tendon was ripped. And I was given the bad news that, you know, there's a good chance I may not walk again. And if I did, there's probably a good chance that I was going to have a severe limp. But I was also told that I had two injuries. One was the muscles and tendons, and the other was the bone. And I had to have that bone done first. First and foremost, I had to get screws and plates and everything put in my life to support it. And then later I had to do the, the physical therapy for the larger aspect of my disease, which were the muscles and tendons. And I remember, too, that I go into physical therapy and seeing the same people and noticing some people weren't get, were getting better. And I remember asking my physical therapist, and he said, well, Kim, you know, it's kind of obvious that you're doing the work at home, and it's really obvious that the only time they're doing the work is when they come to physical therapy. And let me tell you, he told me it was going to take a year to get better, It took a year to get better. But I have to tell you today, I am recovered from that injury. I don't have a limp even. You would never know I had that injury. But I also want them to know if I don't do certain things now, that's when I can tell I had the injury because my ankle starts to stiffen up. I start to get some pain. And, in fact, I want to tell you, I'm in better shape today than I was six years ago because this this injury has, has forced me to become an active person, which I wasn't. So I feel the same way with my disease. You know, I am being told that this is a a hopeless condition. 
And if left untreated, my life will be unbearable. I'm also told I have a twofold illness, allergy to the body, obsession of the mind. And I am instructed in this book, I have to put the food down first. I don't have the option to treat the larger aspect of my disease until I'm sober. I'm also told that going to meetings is not enough. It's what I do at home. It's the steps I take at home. It's the work I take at home. And let me, Garen, let me let you know that I am recovered. I have neutrality. I am safe and protected. I am not cocky or afraid. You would never know that I was a compulsive overeater because I do not suffer from compulsive overeater. But I also know that I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. I will go back the same way my ankle will hurt again. And I also want to ensure you that if I am in better shape today than I was if I never had this disease. But like any other disease, and I'm sorry, I'm going to wrap up with this, is that any other disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, if I do not take the daily treatment, I will relapse. This is no different than any other disease. Don't take the treatment, you will relapse, take the treatment, and you can remain recovered for the rest of your life. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. Hello, Paula. I scared her away. And a little delay here, but hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hello back. This would be Paula D. currently in Burr, New Hampshire, and uh, recovered by and with the grace of God. And, oh, it was beautiful just to listen. Oh, yes, I listened to the words, but the underneath part of the words, you hear it, the feeling of hope that was given when we thought we were hopeless, and and I love the analogies also. But I'm going to come here, um, and as we read this, and oh my goodness, this doctor, you could see, he loved alcoholics. How do you love alcoholics? He saw something. He saw something that so many of us miss. But what he said here, and I love it, in late 1934, just putting a date in, oh, so much more. Look at what happened here. He liked this guy. Darn. When the first time he left, oh, that guy was so full of hope. What do you think Bill was? Second time he left, so full of hope, but he came back again. But look at what he says. In the course of his third treatment. See, this is when hopeless changed to hope. In the course of his third treatment, I don't know what it is to be for anyone, not even myself, but something happened. He acquired, he got something, and I'm going to put something here, certain ideas concerning possible means of recovery. I'm going to tell you the first, the second, the third, and I'm going to just put a quote in here by Carl Jung. Oh, we can go through the books and we will, and you'll read Carl Jung, and this is the quote that he has on his gravestone. Must have some real meaning, invoked or not invoked, God is there. Do you see? First, second, third, God is there. But look at what he goes on. As part, not his whole rehabilitation, but as part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present his conceptions to other alcoholics. It goes on. What was given to him, he could not keep unless he gave it away. We hear that often. Impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. That's the growth. The growth in him and the growth in others. This is what we see. And this is what the doctor sees. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered 
They looked at them. They circled them. They watched them. They observed them. My goodness. And there we are. Thank you for allowing me this time to share. With that, I do pass. Thanks, Paula. Here's one of my favorite voices. Isabella, good morning. Good morning, Larry. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I'm a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Larry, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, yes, before I came to the program, my belief was to blame. If only, if only I would live in a different place, if only I would have a different family, if only I would have a, a different um, a different occupation, and I would do lots of money, I would be different. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program. I change my belief. And yes, today I learned to live the present. And this is what I have because this is what God wants me to have. And thank you, God. Today I'm connected to a loving, accepting power and not to my ego. And today I do understand that Yes, I am a compulsive overeater, and it's the physical, the physical part. Yes, I do have an allergy to to food, and yes, when I put those kind of allergy food in myself, then when I my mind is trying to play around, and then when I am disconnected myself with the power of a loving and accepting higher power. And today, yes, I do know that I I can take responsibility of my illness when the minute that I am aware and I don't put this alcoholic food into my body, then I don't trigger my allergy. And I the allergy that I have, it's nothing to do with where I live and what is my occupational and how much money I am making. The allergy is the present that I got from God. It's nothing to do with me. Today I learned to be connected to a higher power and not to my own ego. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thanks, Bella. Next we got two New York teachers. First, Melissa followed by Leah. Melissa, good morning. Hi, good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And um, yeah, you know, yes, I teach by occupation. And um, and yet, um, so different from carrying the message. You know, in my profession, um, we have to differentiate. We have to change things a lot to adapt for the learner. And yet, in this program, there is no adapting to the learner. This is the program of recovery. Um, this is what it is. I'm not tweaking it. I'm not uh, fine-tuning it. It is what it is. And um, complete surrender to it. So different um, and so powerful. And, um, you know, I, I, I just love how it talks from hopeless, you know, and then recovered. And, and that those two really powerful words are included in today's um, discussion and reading. And, you know, hopeless, um, when we hear the words hopeless, um, you know, at first there's a piece of me that used to um, 
think that's melodramatic. Let's be real. Hopeless. Um, and, yeah, if you're not hopeless, um, keep on moving. I mean, that's really my feeling. And, um, you know, I love what Harlan said about if you're not crawling in on your belly, if you haven't exhausted every other avenue, you're still perhaps looking to tweak this, to differentiate it, to fine-tune it for the learner. Um, that's not how this works. It, it, but if you're hopeless enough, um, and thank God I was, I stopped telling people who were, you know, attempting to help me. I stopped giving them the directions, and I started receiving the directions, and that's when it all changed. Um, and so, you know, when I can think about my hopelessness, um, you know, I can get real, real quick and intimate again with what it means to be hopeless, to um, go to a doctor and have him tell me, Melissa, every time you come back, you're gaining more and more weight. Um, you're morbidly obese. You're killing yourself, and um, you're never going to lose the weight. And yet that didn't keep me from eating. You know, getting on a plane and not being able to buckle the belt, needing an extender, the embarrassment, um, that was hopeless because I continued to eat the candy that was in my carry-on bag. You know, not sitting in my kitchen chairs, but still eating anyway. Um, breaking toilet seats. I mean, how do you get more hopeless than that? Breaking toilet seats because you're too heavy. Um, and yet not being able to stop eating. Too recovered, you know. And that is the truth. That's my experience today. And I can say recovered without um, any melodrama about it. Just like there's nothing melodramatic about saying hopeless. You know, today I can go into school. It's a great party day before vacation. I'm making gingerbread houses with my class with zero interest in the food. And that truly comes from working this program, um, and it's a possibility. You know, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Next we have this woman, Leah M. for Miraculous. Leah, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Larry, for your service this morning. Um, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. Uh, well, you know, I don't know about your disease, but I can certainly tell you about mine, that um, my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. You know, as this disease continued to progress, um, compulsive overeating took over uh, more of my life and my world got smaller and smaller. And, you know, it's because of the restoration, the rehabilitation that, um, you know, I feel privileged and responsible and, um, you know, an obligation to carry the message of recovery. I'm so grateful for this medical saint, you know, Dr. William Silkworth, who was certainly very bright and spiritual and compassionate, and he was AA's first friend, and we consider him a medical saint, and he certainly uh, freely risked his professional reputation to champion this fledgling movement. You know, and he was the first physician to fully understand and put into words what the alcoholic's problem really was. And, you know, I needed that information. I also needed to have an experience which led to a transformation. You know, 
I don't know about you, but I knew I was a compulsive overeater since I was a little kid. I didn't know what it was, what it was labeled. I certainly didn't know what I was up against, and I certainly did not understand the depths to which this disease would drag me or how hot hell would eventually become. And my own understanding and my own learning and my own awareness of this disease never stopped me from compulsive overeating. I needed restoration. This program of recovery allowed more than just the mere elimination of substances which triggered my uh, allergy. It restored me. It renewed me. It allowed me to be reborn. (laughs) You know, that sounds dramatic, perhaps, but it is the truth. I am not the same person. You know, I can tell you my specific abstinent date, but how about the date that the fear left, the self-loathing was relieved, the resentment against major characters in my play of life was lifted. Those are the days, the dates I cannot give you, but it's because that was lifted, those were lifted, that I was able to be reborn and live a new life. So the suffering that I had, this madness, was the invitation to a transformation as a result of these 12 steps. The latter of the steps took me out of the pit of powerlessness and onto a new trail. And for that, I am grateful. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah. Okay, who else would like to share on what was read? Nessa R. from Massachusetts. Betty W. Nessa R. Morrissey. And Betty W. Okay, got uh, Nessa, Nancy, Betty, Maura, Leslie. Who else? Greg F. Greg. Greg. Okay. All right. So here's who I heard. I heard Nessa, Nancy, Betty, Maura, Leslie, and Greg. Let's uh, let's start with that. Hey, Nessa. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. Um, I also want to talk about uh, hopelessness, but from a slightly different angle, because to come into these rooms, we have to be hopeless. I mean, I know for me, Overeaters Anonymous was not the first thing I tried to lose weight. It was the last thing I tried to lose weight. Um, You know, after everything else that I that I could think of failed. Um, the only things I didn't try were any surgical interventions, but just about everything else I tried and everything failed. And so, of course, I came in hopeless like, like, like everybody else, you know, the last house on the block, as we say in this meeting. But the angle I want to talk from is the hopelessness I felt within these rooms. Because for the first nine years, um, um, there was no recovery. There was no much abstinence to speak of. And I lost very little of the 70 excess pounds that I was carrying. So I, I was oh, sorry. I was hopeless within these rooms. I, 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 didn't, um, I didn't know what to do. And, of course, my first thought is, oh, this program does not work. This program does not work. I'm doing everything I'm being told, and the program does not work. And I, I truly, truly felt um, there was nothing um, that could save me. What I didn't know, and I found out 
you know, a few years later, um, when I came in contact with my current sponsor, is that the program does work, but it only works when it is worked the way it is meant to be worked. Uh, when we are focused on entire abstinence to begin with, and then follow the instructions of the big book precisely. And that's not what I had been doing up until now. I had been working on the, on the tools, and I had been memorizing and repeating and quoting slogans. Um, and of course, that is not the program. The program is what we're reading right now, what we study here every single morning. Uh, needless to say, um, as soon as I became entirely abstinent, 100% abstinent, without any loopholes, without any um, um, excuses, and then I was taken through the steps, that's when I recovered. You know, the 70 pounds came off, the obsession was lifted. Um, I had a solution to my living problems because I still have living problems. My circumstances have not changed much in the in the last, you know, 14 years that I've been in program, my kids have gotten older and I've gotten older, but that's about it. Um, you know, the, the, the recovery is in this status and in nothing else, and that's what I found out. And so uh, we are not hopeless if we follow the instructions in this book, and I pass. Thanks, Nessa. Good morning, Nancy. Can I be heard? You can. Okay, great. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Um, this part, this part of the book, it really, I know what it means now. But before, when I was before I came to uh, Vision, I used to think people were kind of arrogant when they said they were recovered, and not too many people say that around my area. And um, and I used to be ashamed to when I first I thought I would be ashamed if I ever recovered to say that. And now when I say I'm, I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, I just feel um, that I hope somebody catches on to that, you know, and asks me how it happened. I share all the time how it happened, but sometimes people are not quite ready. And <clears throat> when I was, before I came to OA, I was hopeless because I tried diet after diet. The only time I had hope was when it was working, and then I felt hopeless when it ended. And... Then I joined OA, and I said, this is the answer. I, I knew it was for me. And I stayed in OA for 40 years and uh, never left. And each time that I was abstinent for a year, two years, three years, I had hope. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I wasn't totally abstinent. I was messing around with the uh, cause and effect every so often, and I was, but I thought I was under control. I didn't even think about God had me under control or whatever. And now when I hear this, um, these hundred people have appeared to be recovered, I know exactly what they mean. They mean that they're not cured, but they mean that they have recovered from the seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And that's what's happened to me as a result of doing this, uh, the steps, the big book way. And uh, the part about having to help others, you know, they have to carry the message to keep it. Um, I used to think that it was like, an obligation and a chore to have to carry the message. Of course, I didn't have the message to carry, but I didn't know it at the time. And now that I have the message, I'm convinced that people need to hear it. You know, not not in a controlling way, but in a way that I can share what I what helped me and what worked for me. And then hopefully it'll catch on. It, um, amazingly, it has caught on to a few people in my group, and they're now in vision. 
and they now are getting recovered. And it's so wonderful to hear that kind of sharing uh, in a meeting because you don't hear it. I don't hear it that often. And so my judgmental self that used to say people are cocky when they say they're recovered, now has I've become one of those, and I don't feel like I'm being cocky. I feel like I'm totally uh, convinced that my higher power is doing it and that I can continue. The last thing I wanted to say was um, when I... Uh, uh, I lost it, so I guess it was time for me to stop sharing it. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Nance. Okay, next we have Betty, followed by Maura. Betty, good morning. Good morning. Um, hey, Betty, I think we I think we lost you. If you could press star one to unmute. Can you hear me? I can, Larry? yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. Thanks. Uh, thank you for your service, Larry. And good morning to you and to everybody on the line. Uh, I was also focusing uh, on uh, had to uh, had come to regard as hopeless. I considered myself hopeless, and for me that meant that I wanted to stop eating, but I couldn't stop eating. And I knew I I had a problem since I was a little child because I ate more than other people. I remember going to a birthday party when I was a teenager, and this is just like other experiences I had prior to that or older where I was compulsively eating. I was invited to this birthday party of a neighbor's um, child, and um, the food that they offered was pizza, which is no longer on my food program or on my um, uh, abstinent food plan. And um, I didn't know at that time that I have an allergy to sugar, flour, and fat, and and those things in combination. Um, So uh, when I asked for my fifth piece of pizza, the mother of the birthday child said to me, everybody else has eaten one, maybe two pieces of pizza. You're not getting your fifth pizza. You've already had four, and that's enough for you. And I remember being so embarrassed and humiliated, but I didn't know... Uh, what I know now, that I had a disease. And I'm grateful that I know I have that disease. But for a long time in OA, uh, and I'm grateful to OA for telling me that and for being in OA, but for many years I was in OA and never was told to read the big book. And when I first read the big book, I didn't like it. I thought it was written by men, and I was ungrateful. And that's because I was still in my disease, and I was still trying to control my disease. It wasn't until I started reading the big book with a sponsor, because this is a WE program, that she explained things to me and, and still explains things to me because I, I, need, I need to hear um, uh, sobriety and food every single day. Then when I started doing it with my sponsor, I really started growing emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And the last thing I'd like to say is that in the previous meetings uh, recently we've had, uh, when we read the editions, um, the big book has referred to has been referred to as our literature. And, you know, there have been hundreds of writings from the time that people turned speech into uh, written language. But there are very, there's only a select number of books over the years um, that are called literature. And I looked it up uh, in the um, Random House Dictionary, and they define it as a writing of permanent worth. I'm so grateful for the big book today. I'm grateful for my sponsor and all of you in the program. And I'm so grateful for a vision for you because I really came to understand 
what Dr. Silkworth's letters meant, that I have a disease, but now I understand why. It's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And um, I feel the big book is a writing of permanent literature, and I know thousands of other people feel that way too. And Dr. Silkworth's letters are, to me, writings of permanent literature. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Silkworth and for the big book and um, for this meeting and what that will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Betty. Okay, next we have Maura followed by Leslie. Maura, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Maura Z, recovered in Virginia. Recovered. Oh, my gosh. Like many others that I've heard on the line, when I first came into this particular meeting and I heard people calling themselves recovered, my first thought was arrogance, such arrogance. And I'm so glad I was proved wrong because this is a gift unlike any I've ever received in my life. And, and, and it just reminds me that you know this is a season, one of the seasons in our calendar. Um, whether it be Roman or lunar, that we give each other gifts. And I was speaking with um, a neighbor last evening, and I'm volunteering to do a New Year's Eve dinner for a few friends. And the menu came up, and what the heck am I going to make? She asked me, what about some of the, you know, things that your mom made for you during Hanukkah? And I said, well, I'm not as good a cook as my mom. And I realized when I was starting to think about later that evening, the things that my mom would make. And I realized I haven't had some of those items in years. And instead of missing them, I was just able to enjoy the memory of how I enjoyed them then. That's another gift of this program, that I don't miss the foods I used to eat in inappropriate ways and inappropriate volumes. This program is filled with gifts. So it is just, you know, Dr. Silkworth, is a gift um, and he shared his gift of knowledge and experience with us i i can't build upon that i can't say anything more there are you know not enough adjectives to to explain my gratitude and and you know the love in the in the the just the there's no other word other than gratitude. Gratitude and thank you. They are little words and they I hope they convey the amount, the strength, the I don't know what the word is of gratitude that I feel in my heart for Dr. Silforth, for Bill and for Bob and for the program. And um I'm babbling at this point. So with that I'll pass and thanks Larry for your service. Hi, welcome. No babbling. It's great hearing it. Okay, we have uh, Leslie followed by Greg. Leslie, good morning. Good morning, Larry. This is Leslie W., a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. 
And I just wanted to um, focus in on the line where it says, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity. You know, I think, um, you know, being successful, um, running my own business before um, I became a mom and having a lot of success in other areas of life was really, really something that, um, you know, made it difficult for me to understand that I had a disease um, because I thought that I could, you know, this this whole food thing was no different than anything else I had done in my life, you know, put my mind to it and, you know, let's get it done. But no, <laughs> um, it knocked me out. And, you know, when when I first walked into the rooms of OA, um, you know, I, I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater. I just knew that I was at home with my newborn baby crying, sleeping, and eating and nursing around the clock. That's all I did. That's, that was my life. Um, and, you know, I'll share the reason why this is a very personal story for me, but the reason why I first came into OA to begin with was because I was exclusively breastfeeding my newborn child, and he was having difficulties just going to the bathroom. He couldn't, like, digest his food properly. And, you know, I took him to doctors. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. But one day it dawned on me that um, the food that I was consuming was going straight into his body. All that sugar, all those carbohydrates, all that crap. Um, And he couldn't handle it. And, And I... When I knew, when I knew that, I knew that. And so I said, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And I walked in those rooms of OA, and I identified in, and thank God that I did, because it, it saved my life. And, you know, I mean, even, I know it sounds a little dramatic, but it's true, um, that that was the reason why I came in. I don't think I would have ever done it for myself because I didn't care enough about myself, but I cared about my son. And that was why I walked through those doors of OA. And when I heard that I had a treatable disease, like I could do something about this, I was not hopeless, you know. And, and, and I got the support of the fellowship, and I started on the steps. And even though it's been a long journey for me, I have to tell you that I have the most wonderful life today. My son is healthy and happy, and now I have another son, and I have a husband that I'm still with, (laughs) you know, which is a miracle, and we have a good relationship. And so I just wanted to share that story today for anybody out there that may feel like their circumstances are dire. There's always hope. There's so much hope in this program, and there's so much freedom. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Leslie. Okay, Greg, you wrap us up here. Good morning. All right, this is Craig F. from uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Tulsa, Oklahoma. A, a long time ago, in a place far away, I uh, was sitting in a bar on a Sunday afternoon reading a Sunday newspaper supplement, and it was the supplement was about the state of mental health in the in the country, and I don't know why I was so interested in it. 
maybe because I was crazy, but uh, the uh, they were interviewing this prominent psychologist, and and uh, they asked him uh, about uh, uh, people that were overweight, and he was talking about that as if it was a mental illness, which sitting there overweight kind of offended me. I didn't think I was mentally ill. And he said that of the people that are 100 pounds overweight, and I know this program isn't all about losing weight, but it's uh, he said of the people that are 100 pounds overweight that 3%, less than 3%, would ever take that weight off and keep it off. And that if you were 200 pounds overweight, it was the statistic wasn't measurable. And I I sat there at my weight, which was close to 200 pounds overweight at the time, and I felt hopeless. I I I, I did. I, of course, I also felt false bravado that I could do this without any help. But uh, inside, I knew I was helpless. They went on and they asked him about drugs and alcohol, and they said, with all the problems that drugs and alcohol cause, shouldn't we just make them illegal? And he said, uh, he said that if you take the drugs and alcohol away, what you have is people that have been self-medicating their anxieties. And, and I kind of related to that. And he said, if you don't give them something to put in their in its place, you're just going to create more problems than you have. And I thought he meant something like methadone, and I thought. You know, what they need is a methadone for uh, food and kind of, you know, something that would make me feel better uh, so that uh, I didn't have to eat but didn't wouldn't add to my weight problem. And But, you know, uh, I, I think today that uh, the uh, when I come into this program and I got abstinent a, a, a long time ago for a long time, couple of years and lost a lot of weight but I did it on the fellowship and I really didn't do it on the steps and I you know I stabbed at him but I didn't really commit myself and I, I think that the fellowship was kind of like my methadone but t- today I have a program that uh, thanks to this program thanks to this vision program I have a program that has taken me to a place where I have neutrality with food and that's far better than than having uh, than having a methadone. And I uh, have hope today. I have I have great hope today. And I have hope today because I have this spiritual program that replaces my uh, not only replaces but supplants my need for uh, for food. I have a spiritual program that relieves that mental uh, anguish, those that build up emotion that uh, will cause me to eat. And uh, for that, I'm grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Okay, we're going to wrap up. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We're now going to close from a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Hey, Nadia, are you there? Can you read to us? Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Um, Nadia B., grateful, recovered, compulsive leader in Connecticut. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. 
Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.